Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Thanks for tuning into the Security Token Show. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle Sondland, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Herwig Konings. And this week, we're going to be discussing the various fundraising exemptions in the U.S. for security token offerings. We're talking about the nitty-gritties of the regulations. Yeah, that just screams exciting, Kyle. But you know, before we do get to that very important topic, I'm just going to remind our listeners the usual programming agenda. So there are no interviews on this podcast. Instead, we begin the show with our Companies of the Week segment, where we pick our favorite companies making moves, followed by my industry update, the latest in STOs and trading activity from Kyle, and then finally, our exciting main topic discussion, which this week is about something I'm particularly interested in, uh, the regulations. So before we get into that, of course, let's start off the show. Kyle, who do you have for episode 53? Well, my company of the week this week is Bloomio, who after successfully raising over 2.3 million US dollars in seed round funding, they announced their upcoming security token offering. Bloomio is described as a blockchain-based marketplace with internal trading facilities for traditionally illiquid investments that are accessible to investors with small tickets. So it seems to me like they're pretty much an issuance platform looking to also potentially provide a liquidity solution in the future. The CEO of Bloomio, Maxim Ledovowski, confirmed in the press release that Bloomio is issuing their security token with regulatory approval in Malta later this year. So I wanted to use my Company of the Week award this week to recognize another new player in the security token industry. Congratulations for following the regulation, making sure that you're getting approval in your jurisdiction, and best of luck with their fundraising efforts for their security token offering. So my company this week, Bloomio. Very cool, Kyle. Always a great thing to see a new player in the space. I don't know if you have more information regarding their STO or if that was just it. It was an announcement just about an announcement. their future launch. I was excited because they also have raised $2.5 from seed capital, so they certainly aren't just right. an idea. They have money behind them, and now they're doing their newest round via ASTO. Indeed, very exciting. I'm sure once that comes out, you'll, of course, be giving the coverage. And meanwhile, actually, Kyle, my company of the week is on the same trend, which is funny. We normally don't always give out this award to, to company launch announcements, but for this one as well for mine, I was particularly impressed. And so I'm doing the same thing. Uh, this, this time, my company, this new company that's joining the space is actually started by the CEO of R3, David Rudder. So now you know, everybody listening probably knows that R3 has made a huge impact on the blockchain space and honestly, even the security token space as well. So you know, leading the charge in the enterprise blockchain segment, R3's quarter blockchain has been chosen by big institutions so far and exchanges as well. We're talking about HSBC, NASDAQ, the Swiss International Stock Exchange. And now David Rudder, has recognized another opportunity in the space that can be monetized, and that is corporate bonds, ladies and gentlemen. Specifically, you know, David's new company, Ledger Edge, is a secondary market for corporate bonds, of which 59 billion is traded in annually, but only a third, supposedly, in an electronic manner. 
So this is, of course leaves a huge room for blockchain to digitize the other 40 billion in transactions on the Ledger Edge platform, hopefully, right? So by the way, uh, David Ruther is one of those entrepreneurs I honestly think is, is incredible. I admire him a lot as a serial entrepreneur. You probably didn't know that he has another company called Liquidity Edge, which he sold for $150 million last year. Whoa. So, you know, let's see if Ledger Edge <laughs> goes for an even bigger exit, you know? So we'll be watching from the sidelines and of course, keeping you all updated on the show as hopefully Ledger Edge Edger, Ledger Edge leads a corporate bond revolution and for sure they have deservedly won my company of the week. Fascinating. I think corporate bonds is a tremendous industry segment. We saw fat brands launch their blockchain-based corporate bond with Cadence and now we're seeing R3's CEO now launching a company also exploring that space. I think that figure is fascinating that two-thirds of the corporate bond industry is actually not traded, digitized at all. So that's what, paper over the phone? Like, like the, the fact that we're still dealing with billions, $40 billion in bonds that are traded over the phone, like this is a huge opportunity. They seem like a great company to be able to take advantage. And, uh, and, and what an awesome announcement. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, and you you know you probably also know Kyle that the the corporate bond market is in the trillions. Mm -hmm. So this is this isn't a market that isn't even trading. It's yet another place that security tokens will increase liquidity and bring more assets into those secondary markets. So very exciting stuff. It's but, the largest uh, market in the world. Yeah, that. yeah, that. So with that, you know, let's get into the news, folks. I just want to let you all know before I do that we source all of the articles that we talk about on the show from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for reference in the about description of the podcast itself, or you can find it always on the Security Token Show Medium blog. And let's kick off the news segment from my home country of Belgium. So this is, of course, where the headquarters of the European Union is and where we are soon expecting some legislative proposal for crypto assets sometime this quarter. So the impact could have wide effects, of course, on the crypto industry in Europe. Specifically, though, it's also relevant for the security token industry in that a sandbox for security token projects could be established as a result. So currently, most of Europe is governed by the Central Securities Depositories Regulation, aka the CSDR, as well as also by certain provisions of the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive, right, the MIFID. So this regulatory sandbox would give security token issuers and projects a way to navigate around those rules while being monitored by the regulators, in this case, the ESMA, aka the European Securities and Markets Authority. And the sandbox would actually last, uh, at least proposedly according to details, for three years, giving ample time for studies and validation. You know, this model is popular and successful, I should say, in other parts around the world, including Singapore and Canada. And we'll see if this ultimately does come to fruition and what other regulation may ensue Europe soon. We'll keep you posted as they eventually will release their proposal. And over in Malaysia, the Securities Commission, the financial regulator of Malaysia, has denounced Binance as operating a recognized market without authorization. And it's not supposed to now be offering services in the country unless it has the proper licenses. So, you know, there's still the region, by the way, Malaysia is pro STO with activity already happening now there. So just a, a further stance that they are anti-crypto, but pro STO. 
That's fascinating. Binance is a multi-billion dollar company at this point, the leader in the crypto space in terms of providing exchange services. And this is now their third or fourth jurisdiction that they're running from because they haven't had the proper licenses and the, the authorities are cracking down. They denied having an office in China when China raided their offices. They denied having an office in Malta when Malta denounced their, their actions. And now we see Malaysia following suit. It's going to be fascinating to see if Binance still holds on to this crypto-centric exchange or if they at some point recognize that the security token space is likely where they need to head. So definitely keep your eyes on Binance. They, they seem to be pretty innovative and, and maybe, they're, uh, maybe they may pivot into something like that. I wonder if this is a case of just them needing to get licensed or if this is a case of a country not wanting to do anything with crypto. We'll have to find out. Um, moving on into company announcements, we're starting off with bank heavyweight MUFG. It's the fifth largest bank in the world and they carry a lot of weight. And the financial institution, by the way, has been bullish on security tokens, including investing in infrastructure company Securitize and setting up a research consortium in the country. And now it looks like the firm will launch a digital currency by the end of the year. So there's no suggestion as to whether it's simply a yen pegged stable coin or if it's a unique cryptocurrency of its own. But what is clear is that it will be accepted as a payment option with its joint venture partner, Recruit, which claims to have over a million member stores of restaurants and other service providers, with the coin eventually being planned as well for use by non-Recruit stores. So MUFG could be making big moves here, citing the corona pandemic as pressure to digitize sooner. We'll definitely see uh, the launch for that soon, I expect. And SIBA also made a big announcement. SIBA is a Swiss regulated bank that is focused on digital assets. And as I mentioned a few episodes ago, they launched an educational platform and now they have announced an official technology partnership with DASL, which stands for Digital Asset Shared Ledger, which is a peer-to-peer -peer liquidity network built on the Corda platform. So SIBA is positioning itself as tokenization for securities as well as other you know, uses for utility and cryptocurrency digital assets. So it seems like we should be expecting a lot of interesting and advanced offerings from the firm, hopefully soon. And Black Manta Capital Partners also announced last week a new partnership with DECA4 Advisory, which is a Dubai-based consulting firm for tokenization. The press release was as plain as it gets, honestly, with both executives from their, res their respective firms saying that they look forward to expanding the UAE and global security token ecosystem together. And they, you know, Black Manta Capital platform is going to act as the platform provider and they hope to together tokenize projects from, quote, commodities to real estate. And, you know, personal commentary that I'll add to this is say, you know, this is a classic example of infrastructure building. There are so many pieces of the security token ecosystem, you know, so it's, it's incredibly important that firms are connecting and establishing relationships so they can together better facilitate STOs. And, you know, advisory firms specifically, it's important that they have such a great network because they're such a key connector for all of that. So it's great to see these happening, even if there isn't a lot of substance to it, right? And tokenization platform we own from Germany just announced also a similar partnership with MoneyCorp. So for we own, uh, the services will be offered to 10,000 plus customers that MoneyCorp has, you know, including, by the way, a launch promotion offering free access to we own's investor and cap table management services. Not a bad deal. And meanwhile, we own's global customers will get access to leading foreign exchange services provided by MoneyCorp, of course, being able to transact and use fiat, presumably for the platform. So it looks like there are great synergies between both these companies.
And ending the announcement section is Securency, which last week announced a new hire. A former fintech lead at the Milken Institute, Jackson Mueller, will be the new director of policy and government affairs at Securency. So Crowdfund Insider actually you know, did a bit of an interview with Jackson. So if you want to go check that out. But in case you don't, he does mention that Securency is working for, on several cool projects, you know, including the Financial Action Task Force, one with the World Bank, and also with Wisdom Tree, which is a Series A investor, by the way. So security token infrastructure companies are continuing to grow despite this pandemic, Kyle. You know, good luck to, to your new role at Securency, Jackson. Good luck, Jackson. And last week, you know, we also saw a lot of resources and op-eds come out. I'll start off with the Fiber Blockchain Real Estate Industry Report of 2020. So Fiber, by the way, is the foundation for international blockchain and real estate expertise, which is based out of Amsterdam but has put together a global working group to release this second report here. It's an extensive 64 pages, and it talks about the benefits of blockchain, the traction in the space, the specific technical applications even, and definitely a whole lot more. So I think this is one of the most impressive reports I've seen, especially specifically when it comes to blockchain and real estate. So really great job to Fiverr there. And honestly, anyone interested in participating in real estate and blockchain really should read this. This is required reading. And next up, we have yet another CEO writing about their perspective on building a tokenization platform. So that's pretty cool. Last week's article from Artem, the CEO of Tokenomica, was you know a little grim for those of you who remember when it came to the short-term outlook for the industry. But this time around, we have a much more joyful journey from Elysium's CEO, Raul Milhado, who went from looking to tokenize a friend's yacht to launching a full-stack tokenization platform for luxury STOs. <laughs> Look at that. You know, he covers the challenges of the platform, the operational hurdles that they you know, have to face to get off the ground, and honestly, also all the reasons why they specifically think the luxury niche is, is key. So uh, a, a novel perspective, I thought. So thank you for sharing that, Raul, and, and you know, we're wishing you the best of luck and most success. We'll be watching. That actually sounds like a really fun read. I want to check that out. For sure, an interesting one, I thought, and, and very well written. And the Rotterdam School of Management made some waves in the crypto industry when they suggested that STOs are a better financing solution for startups than ICOs. Whoa, crazy. You know, this is obviously uh, pretty, pretty uh, known knowledge by now to most of you savvy listeners out there. But plainly put, they say that ICOs don't have financial rights and investor protections that STOs do provide, which is verified and enforced by traditional investor markets data. You know, I hope everyone hears this loud and clear, specifically in the crypto industry, but especially new investors who didn't know any better. You know, look for investor rights and financial rights. Those are very, very important. Uh, speaking of STOs succeeding where ICOs failed, Security Token Market's very own Jonah Schulman wrote a great article on the Security Token Group Medium blog about why security tokens almost didn't make it. So he eloquently explains timing is a key component in this ever-changing real-time 24-7 instant world and you know, making comparisons to Webvan and Instacart and explaining how timing and real-time gratification play an ever-important role in today's society, which is, by the way, exactly why security tokens are the future of finance as well. So great work, Jonah. Keep that awesome content coming. We also have an interview with Tal Elyashiv, who is the managing partner at Spice VC, which is the first ever tokenized VC fund. It's trading on open finance. 
It also features Julie Meyer, who is the CEO of Viva Investment Partners, which is a Swiss-based private equity firm. The article dives in on security tokens and the partnership between Spice and Viva, especially diving into the, both the manager's investment theses, their current investments, and their differentiating factors. So go get check that out for new investors in the space. And to end the news segment this week is a piece by securities.io writer Joshua Stoner, who authored a piece about central bank digital currencies and the privacy risks that they actually present. So specifically, he brings up concerns around data theft, blacklists, and other sacrifices that we'll have to make when we use CBDCs. And at the same time, he also points out and describes some of the rising pro privacy solutions like Monero and Brave that, that counter this trend. So if you're nutty about CBDCs like me, go check that article out. And by the way, if you didn't know, we have the largest list of CBDC projects from around the world in our Medium blog. So if you're interested in that, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in that space. You got to check that one out for sure. And that's all the industry news I have for you all this week. So let's move on to the virtual events, Kyle. Well, let's dig into it. We have the final week that you're going to hear about the Singapore Blockchain Week. Unfortunately, or fortunately, it starts on Tuesday. So the day that we publish this podcast, the 21st of July, the Singapore Blockchain Week is here. And so that obviously is covering more than just security tokens. They're covering everything blockchain, but they do have a specific theme around security tokens, more specifically on asset tokenization, talking about the challenges of security token issuance and distribution. So you should definitely check that out. I'm sure they're going to have great perspectives from a lot of the, the Asian security token community, and it's going to be an interesting event. So check that one out the 21st to the 23rd of July. Additionally, we have a teaser coming up for the newest Security Tokens Realized event that is on August 25th. So that's about a month away, talking about how many trillions of dollars of assets will be digitized by 2025. So they're going to be throwing out some hot takes, some real fireballs. You can't miss that one. Unfortunately, we don't have the panel list yet. So I will let you know, and, and hopefully they can get some spicy panelists on there and, and we can hear some, some predictions. It should be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. You can already go register for that, right? So I, I think you know, Security Tokens Realize always puts on great events for the space. Definitely. I think that'll be a good one. Absolutely. And then when we're talking about new security token offerings, I did cover one for my company of the week, but we also have Uni8 Venture, which is a private equity firm launching with digital shares. So I do think that they're a full private equity firm. It doesn't seem like they're actually a, a hedge fund or, or a venture capital firm. They are a private equity firm, meaning that they're actually looking to acquire businesses from what I can, can ascertain from their website. They announced their planned December launch of their tokenized private equity offering. So again, that's, that's still quite a bit away. Um, they didn't have a ton in terms of the terms of the offering, but they do have their roadmap. And in their roadmap, they plan to have eight company acquisitions by the end of 2021 and the equity in the firm will be tokenized and will trade on secondary markets. So they're still working on the structure, I think, and I'll get you more info there, but definitely look out for Uni8 Venture. All right, a couple of new STO announcements. That's always good stuff. A little far down the line, but always good to see more and more new STOs coming out. Be sure to let us know if you come across them, by the way, folks. And uh, Kyle, how about the market update? What's going on? We had quite a market update this week. If you can tell with this theme we've had over the last month or two, Overstock and T-Zero's prices are both up double digits yet again this week with Overstock nearing $34 a share on 150 million market cap here in the security token industry. 
And so the total STO market cap is 287.5 million, up about 15% from what we saw last week at 250, which was up, I think, 15% from the week before, which was up like 15% the week before. It's been pretty crazy. And so as of Monday, July 20th, at market close, OSTKO alone had $472,000 in daily trading volume, which actually totally puts it on the front page of CoinMarketCap when you're comparing it to any of the cryptos from the 2017 ICO boom. And so I think that's actually a pretty awesome achievement as it continues to prove that you can absolutely issue a compliance security and still reach the same trading volume levels as the cryptos that we saw from 2017. Many in the crypto space viewed security tokens as having less liquidity than their traditional structures. But as Herwig and I have continually advocated for a long period of time, it's simply not the case. These traditional financial infrastructure and its institutional investors dwarf the small crypto industry. And as we're seeing with Overstock, it just requires higher quality investment opportunities as well as patience and persistence to overcome the regulatory hurdles that are needed to achieve retail access. But thanks to Overstock, we can now confirm that these theories are true and we see a fantastic use case of the technology as it continues to scale at a rapid pace each week. I'm personally expecting explosive growth from the T0 platform once they finish the final piece of the puzzle, which is receiving approval to list outside issuers, which still seems to be a hurdle for them almost 18 or 24 months after launch. So here's hoping they can capitalize on their current momentum and bring a few A-plus projects for the second half of 2020 because I think the sky's the limit for them from there. In terms of other tokens, there was some notable action this week from, from some of the other assets, which is great news. It's, it's I think, a breath of fresh air than what we've seen uh, from the last couple weeks. And so first, we had blockchain capital that's had a huge set of purchases that we really need to dig into. But before we get into that, let's talk about Swiss issuance platform Mount Pelerin's tokenized equity, which has been facing some serious price decline on Uniswap, closing this week down from its opening price for the sixth week in a row. The shares are down 25% this week, closing at $2.71, which is almost about a 50% drop from its all-time high of $5.30 six weeks ago. But back to some great news this week, blockchain capital's investors were on fire. In five unique trades last week, BCAP's price skyrocketed from $1.82 to $3.22, which is up about 75% this week alone. It wasn't just some small trade either like we've seen in the past, as BCAP saw $16,000 in trading volume this week, which is its highest since February. Now, I don't want to say that we get any credit for the price rise because we certainly never offer any financial or investment advice. Seriously, don't use our opinions or conversations as justification for your investment strategy. You got to do your own research. But we did do an episode last week covering NAV values and how to compare them with the share price of a tokenized fund. And I got to say, I think we did a pretty good job breaking it down. In addition, if you use the same strategies as we described in that video, along with some of your other models that you determined on your own, you will have all of the tools needed to identify opportunities like the one we just saw with BCAP this week. It was pretty clear to us that the share prices were below the NAV value, and as a result, the market seemed to agree. We'll see how the price changes over the next month and see if this is a true rebound or if the market still needs time to shake out and the price will decline again. I also want to make a note of two new tokens on the STO Market website. Congratulations to two Company of the Week winners, Tokensoft and Arca, for having their tokens listed on Security Token Market. Through verifying the transactions through an Ethereum Block Explorer, we're actually able to offer live updating prices for yet another liquidity option in the Security Token space. 
and they are now trading through Tokensoft's peer-to-peer exchange. Arca, if you don't remember, is a treasury bond-backed stablecoin paying interest on the return of the assets but pegging the value of each token to a dollar. So you're going to notice on STN that the price of that one is always going to stay at a dollar, but the supply increases are, are as new investors purchase into the fund. So the supply will increase while the price stays the same, which in turn increases its market cap over time. We did cover that, that structure in episode 51, if you're interested. In addition, we also covered Tokensoft's tokenized equity and their distribution to their early stage investors. And so Tokensoft enters fourth on our market cap list with a 15 million equity valuation at a $1.98 share price. Arca, which did just recently launch just a week or two ago, has about 110,000 in market cap at this time. We're definitely expecting that one to increase. Finally, to conclude the trading segment this week, Herwig, I did want to quickly cover the real estate sector, which had a really strong week across the board, up nearly 3% per property in addition to that sweet 10 to 11% dividend that those properties provide. So a good week and more consistent volume is really nice to see after maybe a slow month or two from those properties and from the secondary market appetite. So all seems to be booming on the secondary markets. Wow, Kyle, that is a really awesome report. It seems like security tokens are on a tear. We're listing new assets as well. Always great to see. Loving those market reports lately. Nothing but up. Absolutely. It's. Uh, I hope that they're always going to continue at that rate. If we, we'd love that. But let's switch over to our main topic and start talking regulation. Prior to Security Token Group, Herwig, you did start a different company called Invest Ready, which does provide compliance software for a lot of the industry. I know that this has given you an edge in understanding STOs and regulations, so I think now would be a great time for you to leverage that knowledge and share with our listeners some of the basics of fundraising here in the U.S. Thank you, Kyle. I would be more than happy to, but please, please... Don't just listen to the introduction boilerplate from the podcast. I am not an attorney. People often mistake mistake me for one because you know I'm very familiar with the regulations from working for so long in the equity crowdfunding industry since it really developed in 2013. You know that's those are, that's when the first rules were legalized from the Jobs Act. And you know today we are not actually talking about compliance even, but actually the rules and regulations, more specifically the fundraising exemptions that private companies typically use in the United States to do an STO. So you see as a private company raising capital from investors requires you to register with the SEC. Instead of doing that traditional way by going public on a stock exchange, which is too costly of course for private companies, startups, or investment vehicles, they instead can use private fundraising exemptions that allow them of course to raise the capital following the varying rules of each specific exemption. So for example, one exemption allows you to publicly advertise your offering, but requires that you verify investors meet a certain financial criteria defined as accredited investor status. That's actually what my company, InvestReady, does. It helps issuers, crowdfunding portals, even tokenization platforms, verify an investor's accreditation status by providing software and a layer of support and privacy for investors to go through this process. All right, so fundraising exemptions are what gives the issuer the way to raise money without needing to report it to the SEC. What about filing or reporting to investors? What requirements must these companies adhere to? 
You're definitely asking the right questions there, Kyle, but unfortunately each exemption is unique. So when it comes to each one of those things, luckily there are only really four key exemptions to focus on when it comes to an STO with one exemption offering two specific ways that are important. There are other exemptions as well, but to date, you know, we, we haven't yet really seen many of those applied for STOs. That doesn't sound so bad. So do you have any tricks to remember them all or do you just kind of have to go off the cuff with it? <laughs> Uh, I am definitely can't help you there. You know, that would be too simple, I think, for legislators and regulators. <laughs> <laughs> they instead, here we go, ready? They're called Regulation D, Regulation A+, Regulation S, and Regulation CF. That last one is easy enough because that CF there stands for crowdfunding. But, you know, it just leads me to how I would recommend, I guess, since you're questioning it, how about I would group these you know, exemptions, probably categorizing them by the type of investor you are offering the STO to, and then the type of solicitation you plan to use. Solicitation as in how you advertise and communicate the offering to investors, because you do have to be careful at what extent you market and advertise your offering, because different exemptions require different levels of privacy. So I'd love if we'd start there by breaking that down. All right, well, yeah, absolutely. You see, for the last 80 years in the U.S., or at one point in time before the Jobs Act, they had the SEC had no changes to the regulations for raising capital. In fact, Regulation D accounted for 99% of all offerings in terms of volume up until the Jobs Act of 2012, which then introduced Regulation CF and Regulation A plus into the mix. But let's get back to solicitation, right? If you are planning a publicly advertised STO, I'm talking about using the internet or social media, putting a TV ad out there, or even just going to the street and you know starting to shout about your offering to people, then you would be soliciting and you wouldn't be able to raise money the way 99% of the private market does. So prior to STOs, the traditional way that companies raise money and still mostly do, by the way, is by using Regulation D, but specifically Regulation D Rule 506B, right? So Rule 506B, meaning that it's a two-parter, Kyle. Reg D is one of the four you know, uh, codified pri private fundraising exemptions, but you can actually look at it like there are five different individual uh, regulations there that an issuer can use for fundraising in total. All right, well, I'm holding you to that because it was four a few minutes ago <laughs> and now it's five. All right, I promise, I promise. It will not increase. All right, so we've got Rule 506B, which is Regulation D. We've got Regulation A+, Regulation X, S, and Regulation CF. That's a lot of letters. What's the fifth? Well, the fifth one is still under Regulation D, but it's known as Rule 506C. You see, Rule 506B prohibits solicitation. You can only tell people you know in a closed room about the investment, and those individuals must qualify as accredited investors. Hence why most of finance has, and mostly still is, closed loop networks and boardroom meetings run by the elite and the old guard, right? So now thanks to the Jobs Act, it also introduced Rule 506C, to enable companies to solicit as long as they still verify that investors are accredited. Just in case our listeners don't know, the accredited financial threshold is $1 million in net worth or $200,000 in annual income, right? Yep, that's pretty much sums it up right there, Kyle. Thank you for clarifying that. We're basically talking about the top 10% of Americans in terms of wealth. 
So it's great that you can now advertise with 506C, but per your point, many issuers don't want, you know, they also want to take money from non-accredited investors, not just accredited investors. So, you know, also commonly referred to as retail investors. All right, so to review so far, if you want to raise money from accredited investors and you don't need to advertise to the public, you would use 506B, which is what we've seen in the traditional markets today. That's how Facebook, Uber, Google, and all the other startups had raised their money in the past. But thanks to 506C, you can now compliantly advertise your investment to the public. However, you are still limited to only those accredited investors for the actual investment in your company. You have got it down perfectly. And all that is required for Regulation D, by the way, is a simple filing with the SEC, no approval necessary. But just make sure you use Invest Ready or any other accreditation tool, of course, for qualifying an accredited investor status. Right. We've seen some headlines before of SEC approved STO. And in most of those cases, they're not actually approved, right? Because there's not actually an approval process. That's right. So that's simple enough. But if we wanted to include the everyday retail American investor, how would you do that? Another great question. You know, before the Jobs Act 2012, only up to 35 non-accredited investors could participate in a Rule 506B offering, and you had to have a previous relationship, so you couldn't even bring in new investors. So Rule 506C, by the way, also does not allow for any non-accredited investors to participate, so at least with Rule 506B, you can get up to 35. But that's obviously not scalable in any sense or the sort of form. So instead, you know, the Jobs Act produced Regulation CF and Regulation A plus to, to truly enable that equity crowdfunding concept. So both exemptions, unfortunately, do have their flaws. Regulation CF only enables up to one million dollars in financing from retail investors. If you want to raise more from the crowd, the SEC improved Regulation A, hence the name Regulation A plus to allow for raising up to 50 million from non-accredited retail investors. So, you know, the problems though are Reg CF is criticized as too small and Reg A plus is criticized because one of the requirements is that you need SEC approval. And when it comes to STOs, unfortunately, none of them have qualified for an offering yet. Right, so that makes a lot of sense. So Reg D, you don't need approval. Reg CF, you don't need approval. But if you're looking to get that 50 million from non-accredited retail investors, that's when you need the SEC approval and we haven't seen that yet. I do remember these issues pretty well. That's why we actually combined to give our feedback to the SEC to improve these exemptions. And it does look like they just might be making some of those amendments. So we're gonna have to see in the next couple months what the SEC says about the industry feedback that we, along with many others in the community, provided and what they intend to move forward with. Yeah, unfortunately, it's created less than a billion dollars in usage for Regulation CF today, Kyle. And then additional reporting requirements for both regulations don't help either. You know, at least both offer a way to expose to retail investors. You know, Reg CF is starting to be used more by STOs because it is a light uh, financial requirement. And as you've pointed out, it is just an easy filing with the SEC. Right, so it's just an easy filing, but it's only up to one million U.S. dollars or one million and seventy U.S. dollars. So it's great, but it's just not quite scalable. So if you're looking to scale that to retail investors, it's got to be A plus. But if you're okay with only taking accredited, Reg D five hundred six C seems like it's it's been the most productive for for STO so far. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting there, Kyle. You know, there, we, we have covered all of them except for Regulation S. So for all other people that the SEC you know, really doesn't control, there is Regulation S. And of course, I'm talking about international investors. You see, the SEC is only interested in enforcing and protecting investors who are U.S. citizens. So Regulation S is designed to let you raise from international investors through a separate exemption. Regulation S wasn't commonly used before the Jobs Act because reaching investors all around the world was, of course, difficult without the internet. But now with an STO, that becomes incredibly easy and Regulation S is seeing an uptick in activity as a result. So just keep in mind, though, that you should also be following the securities laws of other countries that you accept investors from in your STO. Okay, so Regulation S is for global investors, and presumably you can advertise to them, right? Yeah, that's right. Of course, the SEC, they don't really care what you do with international investors. They even have less stringent lockup periods following the primary sale. So beyond filing requirements, investor criteria, and reporting requirements, issuers also need to be conscious of lockup periods. Yeah, uh, of course, each exemption comes with its own rules for how long a security needs to be restricted and who it can be sold to. So I think I can really end my lecture here on this message, which is speak to Securities Council in the U.S. <laughs> if you plan to raise capital. Legal counsel is critical for any transaction. Honestly, they, you know, they're your first step and they're the ones who are responsible for helping you stay compliant. And otherwise, you are on your own. And again, I'm not a securities attorney, so I don't really know the nitty gritties, if you will. Yes, you definitely need to speak to an attorney if you're thinking of going through this process. But I certainly know that Security Token Advisors has a lot of great firms in their network and plenty of experience working with issuers all around the world. And so if you're looking for a legal intro, that's certainly a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to help there. And, and honestly, that's a wrap for our, our show this week. Uh, the, the, if, uh, those are all the different regulations that we've seen commonly get used in the industry and you can use them in combination. So that's what you've seen most of these issuers do. Hopefully this episode was helpful and educational and that you enjoyed the show. Please feel free to give us feedback. Kyle and I can be reached on Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you have any questions or recommendations, of course, don't hesitate with those either. Absolutely, the best way to engage with the STM community is through stomarket.com news. There you can submit articles, comment on others, or even just scroll through the feed of the latest and greatest from the security token industry. Finally, you should know that we do post the main topic as its own episode from each podcast episode on YouTube, which allows you to quickly catch up with all of the topics that we cover and discuss each week while being able to skip over some of the news that maybe isn't quite as relevant. All 50 plus episodes are posted, so definitely go, feel free to go back, review some of the old content you maybe missed, or share the current ones with those that need it. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Catch you next week. Thanks for listening.